The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Hope you're having a good day. Here's who we'll be talking to today. Carol Kitchen is Vice President of Energy and Logistics for Growmark. We're going to take a look at the uh, propane challenges throughout uh, a lot of uh, the Midwest, upper Midwest especially, but several states have taken some action to try to help with the situation. We're going to get an overview and a look at what's going on right now on today's program. Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation will join us. We'll talk trade. What's the latest uh, with uh, China? What about USMCA? There's been some uh, movement on the U.S.-Japan deal in Japan. We'll get the latest on that. And we'll continue our look at the ongoing harvest of 2019. We'll talk with a farmer in the Belleville, Illinois area. That's right across the river from St. Louis. That area, they're still trying to get harvest done. We'll get an update from there a little bit later on. But right now, we're going to start it off by talking with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, how are you? Hi, good morning, Mike. Uh, interesting time as we head into the holidays. Of course, plenty going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, something that maybe people have not looked at that much, but it's a big issue in uh, in Ohio and the Great Lakes region that the, is the algae bloom issue in Lake Erie. And this could set a precedent, could have impact on other parts of the country as well. What's the latest on a new conservation plan for that area? Well, yeah, Mike, last week uh, the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, uh, had unveiled what they call a voluntary initiative. Basically, uh, the state's identified, I believe, 10 different uh, best management practices for farms in the region. As you know, back in August of 2014, uh, residents of Toledo, Ohio, uh, were warned not to drink water for about a three-day period, um, partly because or mostly because of an algae bloom uh, that formed in Lake Erie. And so... uh, that really, that really kind of caught the attention of a lot of people across the country uh, on farm runoff issues. And so uh, I think we're at a point now where uh, we're probably going to be seeing more states taking these kinds of initiatives. You know, on the environmental side of it, uh, environmental groups would like to see mandatory uh, requirements when it comes to conservation uh, to deal with runoff. You know, we saw in Iowa they, uh, they have a voluntary uh, nutrients reduction strategy there. Uh, that's kind of not been all that successful yet. Uh, and so this, but this one in Ohio really is centered on, uh, you know, involving all, all the parties, you know, the environmental groups, uh, ag groups, I mean, so on and so forth. And what they put forward is a, quite a bit of state funding, uh, dealing with some of the water infrastructure issues in the state, uh, and really trying to get more farmers to the table to do conservation practices. And I think, um, what they're really lacking yet is kind of a long-term funding uh, strategy. Right now, I think the state of Ohio has has put about 172 million dollars toward uh, toward the issue uh, for for about two years, and so uh, we'll see what happens with this. I mean, I think it's a good start there. You know, they they clearly have water uh, water quality issues to deal with. 
Meanwhile, on the RFS, several senators are weighing in on this. Uh, on And I thought some interesting comments last week to National Farm Broadcasters, a convention in Kansas City from Secretary Purdue. He basically said it's the lack of exports uh, hurting the ethanol industry as much as uh, small finery uh, waivers. Uh, interesting. And, and he kind of doubled down said, and he had facts to back that up. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, Mike, I think, uh, you know, we've obviously seen the loss of the China market when it comes to a lot of things, and ethanol is one of those. I mean, it's it's a potentially very large market for U.S. exports, and there's no doubt not having that uh, has has put a bit of a crimp on exports. But if you look at the numbers, uh, you know, the United States is pretty much on track to export uh, the number of, number of ethanol gallons that they did last year. And so I think, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I, I think you see Secretary Purdue maybe reiterating uh, kind of what we're hearing from the administration, that, that, that the plan on biofuels and small refinery exemptions is enough, uh, you know, and in the end there's going to be 15 billion gallons in the RFS. Um, obviously, uh, when you look at the proposal EPA's put out, that's, that's really not, uh, it's not a guarantee. And so it's an interesting disconnect between what Purdue keeps saying on this issue and what uh, farm country is really saying about it. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you hope to see that, uh, maybe the secretary gets a better a better grasp on what's going on because clearly, um, you know, exports. Like I said, exports are not as good as they could be, uh, but we're certainly on pretty much on track to match the number that we had last year. Well, I thought it was interesting, uh, kind of a strange reference because if you're going to use that, if you're going to say, well, it's really more about exports. Well, isn't the next question, well, this administration entered into a trade war that, the, you know, took away that China market for the time being. So I don't know that that's really what you want to use as your defense on this. No, you're right. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly right. You know, ethanol has been working a lot of years trying to build these markets, as have, you know, other ag commodities into China. And so, um, yeah, when the door shut to ethanol to China, I mean, uh, there was it was totally out of the hands of producers here. I mean, there's nothing at all uh, that can be done from the industry's perspective, you know, and, and what it can do. And so, yeah, it, it just doesn't uh, it doesn't really add up, honestly. We're talking with Todd Neely from DTN, and Todd, I want to mention uh, before we let you go about uh, the DTN 2019 Ag Summit that's coming up December 9th through the 11th it'll be held at the fairmont chicago millennium park hotel it looks like quite a lineup of speakers that will be at that summit yeah absolutely you know we've got the we've got the head of uh, john deere coming out uh, the keynote speaker um you know there, it's it's kind of interesting because every year uh, you know the, the folks that work hard to put this together uh, really try to shoot for the moon you know and get the very best of the in the industry to, to talk about the the current state of things and uh yeah i think it's going to be a good conference it's usually well attended and i i think uh people will be pleasantly surprised at the quality of speakers we have and it's going to be december 9th through the 11th as i said i'll be broadcasting from there on tuesday december 10th and we're going to give you a chance give every our listeners a chance to win a free registration to the summit if you go to our website americanagnetwork.com and click on Adams on Agriculture. You'll see uh, right up front there, right, you'll be able to click on to enter your name and information uh, to possibly win a free registration. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take names all this week, 
over the weekend. And then coming up on Monday, we're going to give away two free registrations. These are valued at $600 each. So two winners will be chosen, and we'll announce uh, those winners, two winners chosen at random. We will choose those winners and announce them coming up on Monday's show. So if you uh, want to go to this DTN Ag Summit, it's going to be a great event, lots of good information that uh, could be very helpful to you. Here's a chance to win a free registration. Just go to AmericanAgNetwork.com. Click on Adams on Agriculture, and you'll see where you can click on to enter your information, and you may be chosen. We're going to pick two winners from at random and for free registrations for the DTN Ag Summit. Todd, as always, thanks a lot. Right. Good to talk with you. Take care. Yeah, you too, Mike. Thank you. All right. Up next, propane, tight supply. Supply, not so much the issue. Distribution, logistics, those are the problems that states are working on and a lot of folks are working on. We're going to talk with the Vice President of Energy and Logistics for Growmark and get an update. Stay with us on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love. And knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres, that's smart. With Credence Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, there are several parts of the country having uh, challenges getting uh, needed propane, whether it's for drying grain or even heating homes. Uh, We've heard about the logistical challenges, pipeline issues, things like that. The Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration issued an emergency declaration easing hours of service uh, of propane transportation rules through November That declaration affects uh, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. A lot of people working on this. I want to talk about it now with Carol Kitchen, Vice President of Energy and Logistics for Growmark. Carol, thank you for joining us. Uh, What's the overview, your assessment of the situation right now? Where do we stand? Well, you know, we're still in a pretty tough situation. Uh, Obviously, the places where harvest has completed, I think we're seeing some some easing uh, in the lines and in the demand on on propane, but certainly the places where uh, the corn harvest is not completed uh, for us, primarily Wisconsin and eastern Iowa, uh, you know, are we're still seeing a large demand on on propane. So if we have some time to go. I don't know where you are, but today I'm sitting here in Bloomington, Illinois, and it's raining. So so we're still uh, we're still going to be struggling to get finished. And then kind of to add to it we we got colder temperatures earlier so the the demand for propane for heating homes uh, uh was higher than maybe we thought it would be or normally is for this time of year yeah that has has created some challenges as well and you know i think we are looking at some warmer temperatures this week but we expect to get colder again next week so it's not typical that we see as much of crossover i would say of the home heat market uh, as as we do, you know, against the corn drying market, but this year obviously we do with things being delayed, and it's putting a extreme amount of pressure on the infrastructure that serves the the upper Midwest and the Midwest. 
So is it an infrastructure, a transportation issue, and not a supply issue? Well, if you look at the you know U.S. Uh, inventories for propane, you know we have had historically high inventory levels going into the fall season. It's not that we don't have product in the U.S. We don't really have it in the right places. So the pipeline uh, infrastructure has struggled to get product from you know the south and deep south up you know Gulf area up into the markets where we've needed it. So that puts uh, pressure on on both the trucking industry as well as the terminals themselves. We've you know we've really just pushed it the system to its limits. Could you explain for those not familiar when we say the pipeline and and people would say well why can't we move enough? Why is this different than any other time? Talk about the pipeline and the demands on the pipeline and uh, the competition for its use. Well, there you know there are certain pipelines that move generally move propane uh, significantly uh, most of the time, and there's other pro- uh, pipelines that move refined fuels, and those pipelines also move other products. Uh, but I would, you know, I know there's been some conversation that, you know, the pipeline companies are withholding inventory from the market. I don't think we would say that we have seen that. Yes, there have been some other products flowing in the pipeline, but we're seeing actually the market do what it needs to do. And, you know, actually propane marketers are buying up more space into the pipelines to move more product into into the markets. It's just that we've pulled so much so fast that, you know, it just, the system can't really move it as fast as it needs to be and we we have not uh you know i don't think we have expanded significantly storage in local markets in the upper midwest we uh so we you know depleted the storage locations very quickly and we've taken a lot off of the pipeline and the system just has not had a chance to kind of catch up and recharge so that puts more on on trucking right rail is rail much of a factor in this no, at least in our case, we are uh, accessing rail um, where it's it's feasible. But also, again, you know, there's we you know the demand for grain drying has been so much greater than what we would have expected, or you know, in a normal season. So, if companies like you know any anyone that retails or wholesales product had gone out and bought as much as the market needed, and then we you know had a normal season, we wouldn't have seen this much demand, and it would have been a challenge. So there's it's really a combination of significantly more demand at a time in a, in a very compressed time frame uh, with this harvest being later and more compressed than normal. We're talking with Carol Kitchen, Vice President of Energy and Logistics for Growmark. Yeah, we're hearing stories of farmers having to park combines because their dryers run out of gas and they're, you know, they're harvesting high-moisture corn. Uh, tell us, Carol, about the, uh, your efforts at Growmark uh, to, to get propane where it's needed. Well, we have been, uh, you know, looking for any location to bring product into the marketplace. So we have sent a number of trucks uh, outside to markets outside our normal territory. So specifically Kansas uh, to to pull product and sort of get around the pipeline situation. But even even at those kind of far out terminals, we've seen significant lines uh, at the terminals to load. So. We have uh, accessed some new rail locations that we have not used in the past. So I think like most people in the marketplace, we're doing everything we can do to acquire product uh, as effectively and as efficiently for our customers and ultimately farmers uh, that we can. Yeah, we have heard reports of... um 
folks waiting 10 to 20 hours uh, to get propane. Uh, are, is that true? Have lines that been that long? Yeah, yeah, lines have been that long, um, and that's one of the reasons that the exemption on hours of service has been so important to the industry. Because, you know, obviously those those exemptions allow truckers to be on the road longer. So when you're waiting, you know, five to seven hours to load, uh, you run out of hours pretty quickly uh, when it comes time to turn that truck around and come back home and get to customers. So the hours of exemption was important. The hours of service exemption was important uh, and continues to be important. Uh, but, yeah, there have been a lot of trucks lined up in a number of places across uh, across the Midwest. Carol, I guess this is hindsight, but as we look back, we knew it was going to be a late harvest. We didn't know how soon it was going to get cold, obviously, for those extra demands on heating. But looking back, should we have been able to have seen this coming, or was it uh, preventable or not preventable to have this situation? What are your thoughts now looking back? Well, I think I think it is. It was somewhat, you know, we knew there was going to be strong demand, absolutely. The, the industry, I think, knew that. I think the challenge is how do we balance uh, an infrastructure and a storage model uh, for a kind of hopefully not recurring situation for a once in a ten year situation. And I, you know, I I, I wonder as I, as I say that if I should should try to guess how often this situation is going to occur because um, I think we do see more variability in weather and in in you know re- resulting in changes in how we. We operate uh, in in the farming industry, so uh, you know it's you, you don't want to build a infrastructure of storage and pipelines to have that once in a ten or fifteen year kind of a situation. Um, so that's the challenge: is how do you balance that investment over time? Uh, and you know what should the industry be doing in terms of knowing that farmers can't have bigger operations and can go faster and and just ultimately draw more product from our industry more quickly than they have in the past. So I think there's, there will be, and I've seen some uh, indications already of individuals, organizations saying that we need to relook at this infrastructure and, and maybe try to match the size of storage and infrastructure to what our, what our industry can do these days because we know that everybody has gotten bigger and faster and more efficient at what they do. Yeah, I, I would guess those discussions are going to be held uh, probably throughout this winter and uh, into next year and a lot of questions being asked and a look at that situation is this have we seen this before i mean this is is this does this compare with another year where we had this kind of situation well i mean i I, you know truth be told i have been in in alberta in the last five years but prior to that as i talked to my colleagues here they would say the polar vortex in in 2013 and 14 i happened to live in minnesota at that time and it was quite cold <laughs> and we know there was very, very strong demand for propane at that time, but it was a different kind of demand because it was more retail demand versus, uh, you know, commercial and ag demand. Uh, but certainly the uh, the overall demand for this product at different times is, has been greater than the system can deliver. So that in itself suggests that we probably need as an industry to look at what we're doing in a little bit different way. Yep. Like I said, uh, I got a feeling there'll be a lot of conversation on that moving forward. Carol, good to talk with you. Thank you for the uh, the overview. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, and have a great day. You too, Carol Kitchen, Vice President of Energy and Logistics for Growmark. Just uh, a 
a dangerous situation in places. I mean, it cer- certainly it's an inconvenience when you're waiting long hours to be able to uh, finish out harvest, dry your grain, but also a dangerous situation for those uh, trying to heat their homes in cold temperatures and having trouble getting propane. So we'll see if uh, the the industry looks at uh, making changes in the infrastructure moving forward. Up next, an update on trade. We've got China. We've got USMCA. What's happening with the Japan-U.S. deal over in Japan? We'll talk with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation next on AOA. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Positive tone in corn and soybean futures as we began Tuesday's trading session. 76% of corn has been harvested across the nation, according to USDA, up 10 points from a week ago, but still well below the five-year average of 92%. 191,000 metric tons of corn sold for delivery to unknown destinations in 2019-2020, according to USDA. Yesterday, we moved lower in corn futures. Daily momentum pointing lower with the 14-day relative strength index at 33% on Monday. On the upside, initial March corn resistance lies at 381. An hour into the day, we're at 379 and three quarters, up two and a half cents. In soybean futures, January up four and three quarters at 915. Over the past couple of sessions, January beans testing the 10-day moving average, but failing to pierce that level. On the downside, January beans vulnerable to slippage towards minor support at 904, according to the wire talk, but again, an hour into the day, hovering around 914. In the wheats, Chicago, December, a penny and three quarters higher at 509. Kansas City wheat, December, up three and a quarter at 421 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat, December, down a penny at 502 and a quarter of a cent. For livestock, the American live cattle, feeder cattle, lean hogs, minus signs, February live cattle down 72 at 124.37. January feeder cattle down 67 at 143.82. Lean hogs, February down $1.90 at 68.32. The Dow is down 54. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, some trade things uh, to get updated on. Dave Salmonson's with us, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for being with us. I uh, read something today uh, that says they've taken some action over in Japan on the U.S.-Japan trade deal. Well, what do we know about that? Well, yeah, we just heard that the uh, Japanese parliament the lower house has approved the deal. Uh, now, obviously, it goes to their upper chamber, but uh, things are looking good for that moving along there. And, you know, fingers crossed, we hope this can all get implemented on January 1st. And uh, U.S. farmers and ranchers can take advantage of those lower tariffs and have even greater sales into the Japanese market next year. Yep, that's encouraging. Uh, have we heard or seen anything that would uh, make us uh, wonder whether or not it's going to uh, get finalized over there? It seems like it's right on track. No, it seems like it's on track. Um, with a parliamentary system, of course, you know, the government has the uh, majority there, so it's probably just more a matter of, uh, of uh, timing and when they get things on their calendar to get done. Their parliamentary session ends the first week in December, so 
hopefully we'll see the uh, the whole effort wrapped up uh, pretty soon. Yep. So let's uh, turn back here to the U.S. where we wait to see whether Congress will take up USMCA this year. Still sounds, for the most part, positive, doesn't it? It does sound positive. There's uh, still all that uh, negotiating going on uh, back and forth, but there's been a lot of uh, positive discussion, talks about being the, uh, or descriptions of the talks being described as imminent, uh, to end these and come up with an agreement, and then we can uh, move ahead with the congressional process, which can move quickly if Congress wants it to. There are some steps they have to take, but you know, we are getting down to the towards the end of time here as far as this year goes. There aren't, uh, aren't that many uh, session days left before they break in December. So if there's going to be an agreement and movement, it does have to come pretty soon. House Ways and Means Chair is expressing optimism that the deal can be reached soon and says it can get done in the next few weeks, even with impeachment and government funding and some other big issues going on at the same time. Uh if, if I look at the glass half full, I look at those kind of comments, and we've heard comments similar to from Nancy Pelosi, that this is going to get done. Uh, if I look at it half empty, I'm saying, well, yeah, they're going to say that now during this because they want it to look like they can do more than just impeachment hearings. And then all of a sudden at the end they can say, oh, something's come up and it, it can't get done. Or uh, So I, I'd rather look at the glass half full, but part of me still sees that half empty part too. Well, we all have to be, uh, you know, uh, mindful of all the things that are going on. Uh, but I hope we uh, are strongly encouraging the uh, Congress and the administration to keep focus on this. This is something that can get done this year. Of course, they have to deal with the things about the budget, though it looks like they'll have votes this week on a continuing resolution uh, to move that uh, again into December. Something else will have to pick up to get a final budget in December. But uh, if there is the agreement, if the both sides can come together on mostly enforcement issues, then, again, they can go through the steps and have this done before the end of the uh, legislative session this year. We're all trying to keep away from this spilling into uh, 2020 when uh, just given everything else that's going on, there's even more distractions. So uh, we're all hopeful this uh, gets wrapped up this year. You can't be blind to the politics. Uh, I mean, the Republicans are making a, a very concerted effort to point out, hey, we we're, they're saying we're wasting time on impeachment hearings. We could be doing these other things. So the Democrats are not wanting to look like they're putting all their time in impeachment. They're trying to look like they are uh, doing and can do something else. So that either helps get this done or just uh, they're just talking points uh, while they're stringing us out. So we'll wait and see how that plays out. But hopefully it's going to get done soon. What? How does this formally work, Dave? I mean, pay, paperwork has to be submitted by the administration, sent to the Hill, right? And then how, how does that work? Yeah, there's a couple uh, back and forth between the administration and the Hill following the process. And, again, this can take as long a time or as short a time as they, as they choose. Once they have this uh, agreement on an implementing bill, the administration submits what they call a draft of it to the Hill. Then the House Ways and Means Committee and the Senate Finance Committee separately have a hearing on it in the parlance of the Trade Promotion Authority law. That's called a mock markup. Um, they go through that. There might be some small tweaks in the implementing bill. More than likely not. They've had agreement. But it's a chance for the members to get briefed on what's in the implementing bill, have some discussion. 
Then after that, then the administration can send up the final bill. And once the Congress has received the final implementing bill, the clock officially starts on getting to a vote. Of course, that's, you know, 60 days ultimately if you go to the end of the House and then 30 more days in the Senate if necessary. But, of course, once they have the bill up there, uh, they can move that to the floor and vote on it fairly quickly. So we've seen these things happen in a week or 10 days uh, on previous trade agreements once they had a final implementing bill. And we've seen things with this uh, when they had the time stretched out over uh, several months. So, But given the uh, pressures uh, trying to get done by the end of this year, we think if they do come to this agreement, uh, they still have time to get this done before they break it uh, in the middle of December. Yeah, as you said, they, they can get things done real quickly sometimes when they really want to. It's just they a matter of do they really want to, yeah. Talking yeah. with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, how are you reading the tea leaves right now on China? Well, China, you know, we have different ways of this is being described from different different actors if you compare the USMCA to China. Now, Speaker Pelosi describes USMCA as imminent, where you have uh, Larry Kudlow, the president's uh, economic advisor, describing a U.S.-China agreement as close. Now, I'm not sure how many days are in an imminent or in a close, but that seems to be where people are uh, settling on talking about this. They're still talking. We understand there's phone conversation. They're still trying to get there. Reporting says they're trying to some issues on the amount of ag purchases, some issues on digital commerce. Um, you could say, well, they could get there. And, of course, we'd all like to see that and get some certainty of the amount that China would be purchasing from agriculture now and into next year, um, or they could keep putting it off. Um, so it's, it's just hard to tell where they are in all of this discussion about all the issues between the U.S. and China. Uh, if they decide to go for a fairly narrow deal, some ag purchases, um, putting off that December 15th increase in U.S. tariffs on Chinese imports, you could see that would be a small deal, what they're calling a mini deal they could come together on. So uh, I think the deadline, if there is one, in the near term, is that December 15th date for more U.S. Uh, tariffs on Chinese imported goods. If they move, the U.S. decides they don't want to do that, or they'll put it off, or decide they're not going to do that at all, maybe a, a deal can come together. So every time there's some movement, everyone tries to dis- discern whether or not that's uh, the breakthrough that's coming or if it shows weakness by China or if it's just a goodwill gesture. Last week we had the announcement they're lifting the ban on U.S. poultry imports, which uh, opens up the door there. How do you view that? Goodwill gesture, great need on their part, or sign of uh, more good things to come for trade? Yeah, I think it's a sign that they're... uh saying they want to negotiate seriously. There are things they can do. I mean, issues like this, remember this ban on poultry has been going on since, I think, December or January or uh, 2014, early 2015. So this has been around for a few years, something that needs to be done. USDA said we'll accept some of their poultry products. So they're moving on things that uh, have been outstanding issues for a while. There's be some movement. We're never quite sure when these things are going to happen, but... Uh, we like to look at them as uh, good signs, and if they can uh, come to a uh, deal that involves our ag products and some other issues that need to get settled for now and the tariffs, I think that's uh, that will be a good work for them. 
there have been reports that uh, the coverage or what's being said in China is more pessimistic than maybe some of the things we've heard here in the U.S. seems like this is the pattern. Every time it heats up and you think, wow, that's about to happen, then uh, one or both sides start pouring cold water on everything. Well, we have to, uh, as we've seen all this develop over the last, especially eight, last 18 months or plus, uh, there's, as they say, there's negotiating behind the scenes, and sometimes there's negotiating through pronouncements in public. So uh, you have to wonder which is which. I think some of this is just uh, sending messages back and forth. But we, what we really care about is them getting to an endpoint which we can, uh, we can, as they say, take to the bank. Of course, they haven't even figured out where, if they signed a deal, where they'd sign it yet. Yeah, well, they're, they're still talking about that, too, and that... Uh, Asia-Pacific economic meeting didn't happen, which would have been basically just now or a few days ago in, in Chile. When that didn't happen, now they're a little hard-pressed to find out uh, where they can agree on to sign a deal. But uh, if needs be, I'm sure they'll, they'll settle out of place. That just shows how difficult these are, right? I mean, the, the, the deal itself is hard enough, but look how hard of time they're having just to find a place to sign it. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they can uh, compromise somewhere in the middle, and uh, they'll find some uh, place in the Pacific to sit down and sign the deal. Yeah, yeah. Let's just get together, have lunch someplace, and uh, and sign it. But I guess everything, every move is so closely scrutinized, and people are looking for some uh, meaning or you know agenda that it makes it all difficult. Dave, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Okay, anytime. Take care. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American. Farm Bureau Federation. Yeah, here they are working and working for months and months on this complicated deal, and they can't even figure out where they're going to get together and decide it if they want to come to that agreement. So that just shows how hard these things are to get worked out, and there's so many layers to it. Well, harvest continues to uh, drag on in some places. We'll get a harvest update next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams well for some harvest 2019 is finally over but for others it uh, drags on we're going to go to the belleville illinois area that's right across the river from st louis and that area they're still trying to get harvest done dave schumacher is with us uh, he has heard on the big 550 ktrs in st louis uh, known to his listeners as farmer dave he joins us now okay dave uh, how much harvest do you still have to do in that area well mike yeah uh, thanks for the for the invite they uh, they tell us in the report that 80 percent of the illinois corn is harvested in my area i'm guessing 60 65 percent of the corn is out there uh, and it's going to be a slow go from this point. We've probably got 60%, 70% of the beans still out there. Hmm, yeah, a lot of places got 
beans done early, but you weren't even able to do that. Uh, so you, well, you knew it was going to be a late harvest because of the late planting, obviously, but is this uh, dragging out even more than you thought it would? I think so, because, you know, the days have shortened up to the point where we're still, you know, our corn's 18, 19, 20, and we're shelling some corn at that level, uh, but having to dry it quite naturally. And I just, they were thinking they were going to wait it out and see if it would dry a little bit more. Some of the guys don't have facilities to to dry or to dry very much corn at any one time. The problem is, in good corn, and some of this corn's making well over 200, is in a half a day you've outshelled your drying capacity, and all of a sudden you're shut down. You just don't get much done, 50, 60 acres a day, and you're shut down. We talked earlier in the program about the propane situation. What about in your area? Are they having trouble getting propane? No, uh, it's available. Uh, you're right to check. They'll bring it to you. Uh, it is available. We're not having any trouble getting it uh, at this at this time because, like I said, it, some of the guys, there's just not a lot of big drying facilities in this area. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys have got, you know, the, the kind of the portable drying setups that just don't handle the big volumes. But uh, the uh, farm that I help uh, operate with, we're running about 10,000 gallons every four days. Hmm. So, uh, and you mentioned uh, you've got a lot of beans still out. Uh, how have they been yielding when you've been able to get to them? Uh, the beans are running, it's pretty widespread, but 60, 70, you might even find a few fields at, at 80. Uh, the thing that we're running into with the beans is, or may run into, uh, is if we would get any kind of heavy snow on it or any big rain. At this point, they're still standing pretty good, uh, not having any trouble. The other problem with cutting beans is with the high moisture overnight, we can't start running until 10 or 11 o'clock, and if that sun don't come out, we may not be able to cut beans all day. They're just cutting tough. Yeah, and we're having a lot of cloudy days, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, when you when you look at, you've described pretty good yields out there. For this year, really good crops are out there, all things considered. It has to be even more frustrating not being able to get out there and get them. Right. Some corn we were showing the other night, Mike, we planted on the 9th of June. Uh, when we planted it, we kind of put it out there thinking, well, we'll take what we can get and go with it. It's probably better than last year. That corn's making there's some spots some of the fields are making up to 250 on that corn uh, on some ground that didn't do that last year. But it's kind of the old, you know, a lot of saying about what, it's not when you plant it, but what happens after you plant it. But that's some of the corn that we're showing at 20% moisture. It just didn't have time to dry down. Is that corn standing okay? I mean, uh, you've had some you've had some snow, you've had some rain, you had the cold temperatures. How's it doing? Well, it's still standing good. I talked to one of the seed reps yesterday about some of their varieties and, and how it was standing up. And everybody's pretty pretty content with the way it's standing. But there again, a heavy snow or a big wind, and I'd say we'll be picking it out of the mud. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard this time of year, especially in looking at the forecast, and you're not that far away from me looking at the forecast, it's hard to get big windows now where the conditions are really going to be favorable. Right. They're talking about some rain uh uh, some warm temperatures this week, but Thursday, Friday, probably some rain uh, in this area. At this point in the fields, we're tracking just a little. Uh, not bad. I mean, uh, under a normal year, I may not want to be, maybe I wouldn't be out there if it was the middle of uh, September. We might wait a day or two far to dry out. But at this point, we, we're past the worry of uh, of tracking the fields, and more rain is just going to cause, cause trouble for that. And this corn's just not going to dry down much from this point forward.
Yeah, you told us uh, about the moisture levels, and uh, we we heard earlier about the propane. You know, they may have to work on the infrastructure as far as being able to have more inventory and movement of propane. But you mentioned a lot of guys in your area are just not equipped for a lot of big drying demand like, like we're having this year. Do you think they're going to look at that moving forward, or do they look at this as just uh, the exception to the rule this year? Well, you know, they're going to have to look at it and think, well, is this the norm? Of course, there's always that question, what is normal anymore uh, as far as weather? But I would think that they'll have to look at it a little bit. Some of the grain elevators aren't docking too bad for some some uh, corn that's in that 17, 18, uh, simply because they're trying to get some corn moved. A lot of guys are running out of space. Uh, there's just nowhere to go with it. Uh, some of the terminals are starting to shorten up their hours because they're full. Uh, Mike, we're going to have to figure out a place to go with some of this crop. Yeah, and you're you're sitting right there by the river. Usually yeah, an advantage gotta, for you, right? <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of terminals within 20 miles of us, but uh, some of them are actually starting to back off on hours uh, because there's you know just a lot of corn moving. And I know a couple guys that are telling me they're just going to let that corn out there. They've got nowhere to put it. They're going to, you know, as the, as room becomes available, they'll go out and get some. Yeah, the long, late harvest is going to get longer and later, it sounds like, in your area. All right, Dave, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Dave Schumacher, known as Farmer Dave on the, the Big 550 KTRS in St. Louis. He uh, he is work, he works on a farming operation just across the river in the Belleville, Illinois area, just uh, east of St. Louis. And as you heard him say, they've got uh, a lot still to do, corn and beans in that area, to get the, the harvest wrapped up. All right, we're going to wrap it up for today. Again, remember, if you want to uh, register for a chance to win a free registration to the DTN Ag Summit coming up in uh, Chicago on December 9th, 10th, and 11th, uh, go to our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Click on Adams on Agriculture. You can get registered, and we'll be drawing two names at random and announcing those winners coming up on Monday. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everyone.